Welcome back to the program. We're at the halfway point of the baseball season, and no matter what team you might be rooting for, there's a good bet that your players are banged up, lots of them are on the DL, and so much of it is part of the long baseball season, 162 games. It takes its toll, and we're going to talk about that today with my guest, Barry Serluga. He's worked at the Washington Post since 2003. He's currently the national baseball writer at the Post. He's blogged about the Washington Nationals, and he's the author of the pre Previous book, National Pastime. It is my pleasure to welcome him here to talk about his newest book, The Grind, Inside Baseball's Endless Season. Barry, thanks so much for joining us. Jeff, thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. Baseball hasn't always been quite this long. Talk a little bit about the history of how it evolved to a 162-game season. Yeah, in the late 1800s when the National League was first formed uh, and, and people were trying to decide whether this was kind of a viable entity to have franchises in, in different cities uh, playing each other in this still developing sport, you know, there was train travel involved. Um, the, the flow of life was at a much slower pace uh, then, and so frequently um, teams would, would play a game and have back-to-back uh, days off. They might travel, they might be staying in the same city, and then maybe they'd play another day and have a day off after that. Um, that is a completely foreign experience for the modern ball player uh, when days off are, are absolutely the exception. The, the 162 game schedule that we know now is squeezed into 183 days, usually. Um, that's uh, about 20 off days over the course of um, a six-month regular season that has, you know, seven or eight weeks spring training tacked on that and then a month uh, of postseason for the best teams um, after that. The only normal weekend that these guys know, uh, you and I would, would know, you know, it's regular to have back-to-back days off. That happens once a year, once a season at the All-Star break. That's the only time that major leaguers have uh, consecutive days off uh, in a row. So there's an unrelenting kind of rhythm to it uh, that really defines their their existence for, for well more than half the year. The other side of the coin is that in, in the old days, as they say, there used to be double headers. There was more transportation with guys getting on a bus as opposed to a chartered plane. There's a lot more creature comforts in the process today. No doubt, and I think that's one of the reasons why we don't hear a lot of the stories that are in these in this book. Uh, very often, is is guys are very very aware of how blessed they are to be doing what for many of them is their kind of life dream and playing baseball for a living, and not only playing it for a living, but getting paid millions of dollars to do it, and and you know traveling on a charter flight and and staying in the best hotel in whatever city uh, they're in, and having people tend to a lot of their needs. Um, I do think when you strip away uh, that level of it, and they all have an appreciation for for that, um, you find that there's an underlying kind of logistical uh, inevitableness to it to it all. They they have a very very difficult schedule that they're reticent to complain about, but that is their reality. Um, there are times when they're getting in uh, and landing at 4 a.m., getting to the hotel at 5, having to play the next night, um, and their performances are not like going to a cubicle and sitting uh, in front of a computer and, and performing that task that day, in which if you had have a bad day, maybe only you or your boss know about it. Everybody knows about their bad days, and their bad days are followed by another game, another day, another day when they have to be out there and perform very, very publicly. This this sport 
is really defined much more by failure than it is success. And so managing that mentally and physically is, is really what kind of separates the better players from, from, uh, from the not as good players um, because handling it is just such a, a monumental task. You talk about managing that. Talk about the impact, and I know you spend a lot of time in the book talking about Mike Rizzo, the uh, GM of the Nationals, the role that managers, both general managers and, and coaches have in, in dealing with this unrelenting schedule. Well, so the general manager um, who constructs the roster and is is charged with overseeing not just the major league team but an entire system of of six farm you know minor league teams and and um, deciding which players they're going to draft and what players they're going to sign uh, by free agency, the pressure they're under is to have the players that they've chosen and that they've developed um, come through in the way that they envisioned. Uh, when, a, when a roster's poorly constructed and, and there are flaws in it and, and players are underperforming, that gender, general manager feels the stresses of, of those failures. Um, coaches and managers, uh, you know, their decision, the manager's decision um, are very, very public and are almost designed to be second-guessed. Um, you know, when I choose one word or, or another in a story, uh, I don't think a lot of readers are saying, well, I wish he had used this verb <laughs> rather than that, that that verb. But when Matt Williams, the Nationals manager, chooses uh, Aaron Barrett, uh, an untested reliever in, in the fourth game of, of the National League Division Series against the Giants last year, uh, instead of Tyler Clippard, a, a much more um, tested and experienced uh, reliever in a very key spot, his fan base is going to second-guess him uh, that night, the next day, into the offseason and going into spring training. So, um, again, it's not a complaint, but it's a reality of what these guys deal with, that, that uh, they're performing very, very publicly uh, in a way that can be dissected by anybody that comes into contact with them. In a practical sense, also, the other aspect of this is the injuries that result from this unrelenting schedule and the dangers of that, but really what it also requires with respect to additional training and conditioning. Yeah, and I think, you know, spring training used to be, back in the day, uh, exactly that. Training prior to the season, guys would do their off-season jobs and then uh, report to Arizona or Florida and, and work their bodies into shape over the seven- or eight-week period. Now, guys spend the off-season getting ready for that point in mid-February where their body is ready to go. Um, they're, they're ready, when they show up on on or about February 10th or February 14th or whatever the report date that is, is that year, they have built their body over the previous uh, couple of months. There's a balance there. How much time do you take off after the season? How much time? How, what does your body need to do to recuperate before you start rebuilding it? Because what you do on January 15th in in preparing your body has a direct impact on on how it feels on September 15th when you're you know you're five and a half months into the season and, and you're in that final push. It's uh, it is a year-round endeavor, and that's why um, it's described in the book as an endless season. And are we seeing an increase in injuries as a result of this schedule that we were talking about at the outset? I think there's an industry-wide kind of inward-looking assessment now at, at why are we seeing um, particularly a lot of pitcher injuries. Um, Tommy John surgery is such a common phrase in uh, in the game. People don't really think about it as, as unusual, but what, what you're having here is elbows that are breaking down and you're taking a ligament from another part of the body and inserting it into the elbow and, and having that somehow described as, as normal. That's, that's not normal. Um, it is 
what baseball players are are enduring now. I think um, what the sport is dealing with is trying to figure out that balance between building up your body, making sure it's prepared, but not putting it through too much so that it can show up every night and perform at its best when you know you don't have a break the next day you don't have the opportunity to to take four days off in a row to recuperate because your team needs you on the field each and every night isn't it interesting though with respect to pitchers there's much more attention paid today on pitch count and pitchers not going a full game very rarely going a full game the way they used to do and then five and six man rotations which are larger than it used to be yeah and that you know that is something that the sport is is really grappling with as as they've managed pitch counts and and uh and the way pitchers are used not just at the major league level but really going all the way down to the to the youth level what have we done um that we're not able to do the old school thing where they had uh, a four-man rotation and, and guys did, as you said, uh, much more frequently um, complete ball games or pitch into the eighth or ninth inning than, than they do now. Have we overmanaged this? Have we somehow gotten to the point where we've weakened guys' arms or weakened their uh, lessened their durability? Um, I, there is a, there are people studying this from a sports science sense uh, how the how the everydayness of the schedule impacts. Um, players' players' arms, but it's not just at the major league level. It's it's how are we preparing and what are we asking eight, nine, ten, eleven year olds, um, and are we doing damage before they even really get to be even prospects? One of the other things with respect to the endless season and what what the major league players go through, and you mentioned experts that are studying various aspects of this, is that you have sleep experts now being brought in to figure out whether it's better to to fly at night or take or sleep at night where they are and fly the next morning. I mean, all of this is under the microscope right now. Yeah, the Giants have have really dealt with that. They've they've employed the uh, the sleep expert, and and I think teams on the coast, and particularly on the west coast, when you're flying uh, back, um, you know they're really trying to figure out uh, what's the best way to approach that. How are, it's all that kind of stuff that's outside the three hour window that we t- see every night when we turn on the TV. That you know these decisions that seem frivolous or seem trivial that really clubs are taking very, very, very seriously. When the, the Giants were just out here in Washington playing a three-game series in which they were asked to play uh, a Sunday night game um, to be on ESPN against the Nationals, the kind of marquee game game of the week, well, that has a really uh, trickle-down effect on their whole schedule because um, they were due to play in San Francisco the next right. day against the Mets. <laughs> And they decided, the players decided, they asked Bruce Bochy, can we go back to the hotel after this game and fly the next day and play the day of the game um, because we think that would be a better way uh, to get us at our, our, our peak performance where typically a team completes a game. If they're going to a new city, they leave immediately after that game and fly, uh, fly into the night. It didn't work for the Giants in that situation. I think they got <laughs> shut out the next night. But yes. th- those are the kind of decisions that go on behind the scenes that, that – players and management are taking very, very ser- seriously that I think fans have, have no, really no, no real knowledge of. Beyond the physical effects, I want to talk about the mental aspect of this, particularly and first and foremost, the impact that all of this has on families of the players and how that impacts performance on the field. 
Yeah, and I think that's uh, another question that I, uh, I think very few fans understand, um, and they, they really don't. You know, they don't have access to um, Ian Desmond, who's the, the national shortstop, uh, was generous enough with his time um, and with his wife's time uh, to to help kind of explain in the book what a family goes through to stay together through the demands of the schedule. Um, Ian and Chelsea Desmond were really uh, adamant that. Um, this is not a complaint. This is their their reality. Ian uh, lives in you know he works in Washington D.C. He pointed out, you know I see I see military people every day. When I go away for a ten game road trip, uh, Chelsea knows I'm coming home and I'm going to be able to hug the kids. Uh, when a soldier's uh, husband uh, wife is left at home, they don't know exactly how that that deployment is going to end. So, um, however, there are realities in in that. Uh, Chelsea Desmond spent six months of her year outside of Washington in Arlington, Virginia, uh, raising what is now a family of three young boys, five years and old and, and younger, um, and really trying to make sure they have access to their dad, that their dad is a part of raising them, even at that young time. Well, but what that means is um, that they're shifting their sleep schedule during the season so that these small kids, instead of going to bed at 7 or 8 or 8.30, whatever a normal time for a, a toddler is to go to bed, they're staying up at uh, until 11 and, and midnight so that they can be there to greet dad when he's done with his work and they can have some family time after the game. Then they sleep in the next day. And when Ian leaves for the ballpark at, at 1 or 1.30, because these guys are not getting to the park you know, an hour before a 7 o'clock start, um, they have some more family time and it's more more normal. That those are the adjustments that a lot of these families uh, families make to make sure that there's some semblance of normalcy in raising their kids. And finally, Barry, what can Major League Baseball as an institution do, or should there there be anything done to address some of these things that we're talking about? Well, you know, I don't I don't know that um, I'd frame these issues as as a problem or as problematic as much as I would say that the, there's a uh, a reality of what. Um, being asked to perform every single day uh, means, and at the highest level and at a very public level. However, Rob Manfred is the new commissioner of baseball. He's in his first season uh, leading the way, and he is uh, very, very open to change, and he has already brought up the idea that, hey, let's look at this. What, what are we doing? What are we asking of these guys? Perhaps a 154-game schedule over the same 183-day period might be more realistic. Would there be better performance on a daily basis if we gave these guys a few more days off over the course of the season? It might sound um, you know, like maybe eight, eight days over a six-month period, eight extra days off, wouldn't really mean that much, um, but I can tell you, when you're in a clubhouse and you're and these guys are in a long stretch, each and every one of them knows when the next off day is because that's their only try- time to breathe. That's their only time to escape mentally, what can be a rather suffocating experience. Barry Servluga, the book is The Grind, Inside Baseball's Endless Season. Barry, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. Appreciate it. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.